Hello, welcome to Let's Talk Cancer by the Union for International Cancer Control, an organisation that unites and supports the cancer community to reduce the global cancer burden. I'm Kerry Adams, the CEO of UICC, based here in Geneva. Many cancers diagnosed in adults are preventable. Taking action to reduce the cancer risk, such as lowering tobacco consumption, improving one's diet and encouraging physical exercise, could reduce deaths by 30 to 50%. Childhood cancer is different. Children are too young for cancer to be the result of environmental or lifestyle factors. The causes of the disease often remain unknown. Rapid and correct diagnosis followed by effective treatment becomes therefore more important. But the level of care and access to life-saving services varies from country to country. Around 400,000 children and adolescents develop cancer each year, while survival rates for children in high-income countries is about 80%. In low-income settings, it is under 30. With us today to discuss all of this is Rick Shadiak, CEO of ALSAC, the awareness and fundraising branch of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, which is located in Memphis, Tennessee, in the USA. St. Jude's has played a key role in helping children around the world with cancer. And today, they're also helping children in Ukraine with cancer centres across Europe after the Russian invasion. We will discuss this later in the podcast. Rick, it's great to talk to you. I know many people will probably want to know, what does ALSAC stand for? A-L-S-A-C. Perhaps you could explain. Well, thank you, Kerry. It's great to be with you. And so ALSAC is American Lebanese Syrian Associated Charities. We are the fundraising and awareness organization for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. We exist solely to raise the money and to create the awareness that's necessary for St. Jude to fulfill its mission. ALSAC actually was founded by Danny Thomas, uh, and Danny Thomas was Lebanese. And he went around the country asking fellow Lebanese uh, to join him in building building St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. So they had to raise the money to build it. And now our task as ALSAC is to raise the money and to create the awareness to continue the operation of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. You know, our mission is very unique, Carrie, in that no family will ever receive a bill from St. Jude, not for treatment, travel, housing, or food. I know that uh, many cancer organizations around the world admire what you do and what St. Jude's do, and in fact, take their, their inspiration from you. I, you may not know this, but Princess Dina Mered was the president of UICC from Jordan, and she often spoke about how she and Jordan were inspired by the great work of St. Jude's and the work of the fundraising arm, your own arm, in generating so much support for that hospital. And I think it's, it's had more effect around the world than probably you would estimate, actually. Now, we do know that in the US, being a high-income country, one would hope that a child would receive an early diagnosis of cancer and treatment at St. Jude's or one of the many, many other cancer hospitals across the country. But we do know that the chance of survival, as I said earlier, in other parts of the world is limited. It's difficult to identify them, bring them to primary health care, and then get the right treatment to them because of a whole host of reasons. What do you think are the key reasons about the disparity that we see around the world? And how do you feel about it? Yeah, look, I think there's a variety of factors. I mean, a lot of it has to do with access to care. It's been transportation. I've seen families that have to take multiple public buses to get their child to the city center to be able to get medical care. 
Resources are issues in many, many countries, right? The focus on pediatric cancer versus adult cancer. Education disparities. I mean, not everybody is aware. Access to medicine, I think, is a, is a critical component to this. And I would also say cultural stigma. Uh, you know, as I've traveled the world, and, and, you know, I'm so glad to hear what you said about Jordan, because literally about a, a month and a half ago, I was in Jordan um, celebrating the anniversary of the opening of the King Hussein Cancer Center. But in parts of the world that I've, I've visited, there is a cultural stigma uh, with respect to cancer. Rick, it's, it's interesting you talk about stigma being a, a key issue with regard to cancer in uh, low- and middle-income countries, although one could argue there are stigma issues in high-income countries as well. But I've witnessed that myself, where some of the cultural norms really are not conducive to helping to identify cancer in patients, because a lot of patients feel that if they are known to have had cancer, it somehow causes broader problems in their life with their partners, with their friends, with society in more general, they're shunned to some extent. So what sort of stigma issues do you think exist within the child of cancer space that you've witnessed? It's, it's very, very sad. I've heard about it directly from a couple of our partners in, in Africa, for instance. Part of this is an education issue in that people don't understand that it's not an infectious disease because of education and, and, and cultural norms in the country just isn't appropriate to, to reach out to get a, a, an accurate cancer diagnosis. I've witnessed in the Middle East, and you know, I'm, I'm proudly Lebanese, I've witnessed in the Middle East with some of my Muslim sisters and brothers a hesitancy in letting females be touched by males because of, of the, Muslim, uh, the, the Muslim religion, you know, so that then there's this reluctance to get diagnosed. So, I mean, this is a really, really sensitive issue, and we all have to be cognizant of where these countries are in terms of culture and religion and, 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 and what's acceptable. I hearken back to when St. Jude was founded. I remember the words of the first CEO, Dr. Pinkel, here at St. Jude. And he would tell us a story that when he was a young pediatric oncologist in New York, many of his colleagues said, don't go into that room. That child has cancer. There's nothing you can do for that child. Let that child die in peace. And Dr. Pinkle knew that child wouldn't die in peace. And Dr. Pinkle knew that there were things that we could do. And that's why he picked up his practice and moved to Memphis, Tennessee, a startup hospital to help Danny Thomas and people like my father create St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and open the doors because he knew they didn't die in peace and he knew that there were things that we could do. And because of his persistence, ultimately acute lymphoblastic leukemia, which had a survival rate at that point of about 4%, when we opened up, went over 50% within a decade. I've heard stories in Central America of doctors being told, you know, they had to put crosses on the doors of patients uh, because the child was so far progressed by the time they had diagnosed the cancer that there was limits as to what they could do and resources should be applied to other children that had a 
better chance at survival. All of these things are completely unacceptable, but what we need to understand is we need to meet people where they are on this journey, educate them that this is not an infectious disease, that we need to allow these kids to be treated uh, the best we can possibly treat them within their country, within their culture, um, and, and try to continue them on this journey of progression that we've seen now in the developing world. Well, it strikes me that um, that philosophy is clearly well embedded within your own organization, ALSAC, as well as St. Jude, because what you're doing now is saying it is unacceptable that a child anywhere should die. And we will work with different cultures, different countries around the world to ensure that child is given the respect that survival is possible. And it might seem like a big challenge, but if we can, if we can do it, we can do it. Kerry, I'll give you one other example. The reason why St. Jude Children's Research Hospital was put in Memphis, Tennessee, was to address health care inequity because black children were being turned away in the 50s and the 60s simply because of the color of their skin, right? Okay, they couldn't get access to that specialty care. But Danny Thomas wanted to open up St. Jude. And on February 4, 1962, when he did, kids from all races, creeds, religions, and economic circumstances were welcomed through the front door of St. Jude at a time when this city, Memphis, Tennessee, was segregated. So, I mean, this, this is fundamental to us. This is in our DNA here at ALSAC and St. Jude. You know, what's underneath all of this and is something that I'm so passionate about is I don't believe that where a child lives should dictate that child's health care outcome. It just isn't fair. A child has no say in where that child is being born. We have a partially solvable problem here in the United States and in higher income countries. As you alluded to early, survival rates can now reach 80% or more for some of the cancers here in the United States and in higher income countries. But that's not the case around the world. That's why we partnered with the WHO. The goal of this partnership with the World Health Organization is to try to raise survival rates for the six most common forms of childhood cancer from 20% to 60% by 2030. That's certainly something which people have become very aware of and, and stands out as an incredible global commitment, which we haven't seen before. We actually have four components to our program with the WHO. And, and, you know, there, they, we've done this for years. We've educated and we've trained, right? So we bring doctors here to St. Jude to learn and to, to train and then go back to their country to provide quality care to their populations. But we've also now started to create capacity building. This is where ALSAC comes in as well, because we also teach foundations in these countries how to fundraise, how to create awareness. St. Jude is very focused as well on patient-centered care. So this is bringing up the quality of care in each of these clinics that we partner with. And you know what I'm so excited about, though, Carrie? It's access to, to quality specialty chemotherapy drugs, and St. Jude is doing something about that. We've done something about transportation. We've done something about abandonment of care. But this is going to be a tangible program where we're going to commit about $200 million to provide free chemotherapy drugs, quality chemotherapy drugs that are going to be delivered 
on time. Uh, we want to try to touch 120,000 children in 50 different countries uh, over the course of the next five years. It's an audacious goal, but we think this is going to be the game changer that actually raises survival rates. So I'm excited to see this play out. And yes, we're going to put resources behind this. And that's just the start. It's a great start and it's an inspiration. And, and thank you, Rick, and all the team there for, for making this happen. How do we motivate other organizations and other countries, particularly high-income countries, to put this at the top of their development agenda, to see childhood cancer the equivalent to the communicable diseases, the malarias, the TBs, et cetera? How do we do that? What, what can we do collectively to make sure that this builds a sustainable long-term solution? Yeah, it's a great question. It starts with education and awareness, so we have to let the world know about this problem, right? In September, it's Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. So, you know, that's part of the plan here, to raise awareness around the globe that, that childhood cancer is a disease that we actually think that we can treat and help kids get better. So it starts there. Appeal to everyone's sense of humanity. Uh, you know, people want to help children. And, you know, we all need to demonstrate compassion to these children. As I said earlier, these children didn't have any say as to where they were born, but they deserve the same opportunity as my kids deserved to grow up and lead a healthy life and, and ultimately to be able to, to realize their dreams. And then to convince the world that we have a path forward, okay? This is not an unsolvable problem. This is a problem that we've demonstrated that we can cure. There are many, many kids all around the globe that are surviving childhood cancer. So that needs to be the message, um, you know, in, in higher income countries that we can do and we have a moral obligation to do much better in low and low and middle income countries to help those kids who deserve it so much. Rick, you're so so right. We have um, I have had the you know, the good fortune of meeting many people who have survived childhood cancer, who have become ambassadors for the cancer, who themselves because they they've survived it and they don't like seeing other children go through the the challenge of uh, a cancer diagnosis without the appropriate infrastructure, treatment, and care to you know, increase their survival chances. So we have I think a growing ambition across UICC shared by many that childhood cancer is something that needs globally to be addressed. And um, I think we can get there. I mentioned earlier the, the challenges in Ukraine. In UICC, we've set up a solidarity fund to actually help cancer organizations in and around the country to deal with the broader challenges they're facing on helping individuals with, with, with cancer and also the oncologists and you know the, the hospitals in other countries that are taking in those, those patients. You've specifically been working on challenge of children's cancer for Ukraine. What have you been doing and, and what's happened so far? You know, Carrie, it's actually something that we've been preparing for for years uh, by developing relationships throughout Europe and the, the EU uh, and, and actually around the world. And that's been a part of what we've done in our St. Jude Global Initiative. Uh, but when Russia invaded Ukraine, I want us all to think about how disruptive it's a horrible situation, but how disruptive it is, especially to families whose child has been diagnosed with cancer. They've already received this devastating news. In some cases, they've started treatment. Uh, then the bombs start falling on your country and you don't have an ability to get access to care. Uh, and then they have to make the decision ultimately that they're going to leave their country to seek safe passage and then travel to a foreign country. 
And we were there in partnership with, with our friends in Poland and then in collaboration with many of our sites that we work with throughout the European Union. We were able to put about a thousand Ukrainian kids on a registry to make sure that we're tracking them, at, that they're at appropriate institutions around, around the world, literally. We helped with our partners move about 800 of these kids. And, you know, I'm really proud to tell you that 10 of those children are here at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Eight we actually transported here. Two additional ones came to us through our normal referral channels, and we're offering them their care. The most important thing is that because of the collaborations that we built up over the years, we were able to distribute these children uh, and get their families the care that they needed so that their care could be continued. And, and it's so important that care not be interrupted, and, and it clearly was by virtue of the war. Uh, so, you know, the kids here at St. Jude are doing well. They continue with their care uninterrupted. Uh, I, I know a couple of them have gone back to Ukraine because, you know, some of their family members are there. Their fathers are there. Other siblings could be there fighting and participating in the war. So I'm really proud of what we've done, but I'm, I'm mostly proud that the world came together to recognize this terrible humanitarian crisis, to, to to reach out to our Ukrainian brothers and sisters and, and children uh, and, and to help them at a time of need. And, and, and God willing, many of these kids are going to survive. Uh, and, and I can't wait to see what, they, what happens to them as they grow up, given the experiences that they've all been through. I think you very well de uh, described the characteristic of the cancer community, which I, I feel privileged to be part of, in that, you know, it is a very collaborative community. There is very little competition. We all want to work on the same objectives. And when crises like these happen, we do pull together. And everyone brings their own skill sets, their capabilities, and, you know, generally we resolve them. So I think we should be proud of the cancer community more generally as well. But um, what, what else needs to be done in, for Ukraine then, uh, Rick? What, what else do you think we need to do? The war needs to end. The war needs to end yesterday, right? So, I mean, that's the fundamental problem right now. And then we still need to help our sisters and brothers in, in Ukraine and the surrounding area. We're continuing to work with the Tablatachi Foundation in Ukraine. They're raising money. And, and you know, I've met with the president of, of that foundation, and I know that she's got grand plans to try to rebuild the, the medical system there, maybe even create a brand new hospital. But none of this can take place, this rebuilding and the rebuilding of lives, too. It can't take place until the war stops. And so that really is underneath all of this, but we can remember that we can, you know, offer financial assistance to these people. If you're hearing this and you're all around the world, you can support the clinics in the countries throughout the EU that are, are supporting um, these, these children uh, and just continue to come together and pray for them and pray for the end of this war. It's um, childhood cancer awareness month and i think your message will resonate around the world we certainly as uicc will use it to to ensure that people are aware of the challenges uh, in ukraine uh, the challenges in low and middle income countries and even in you know some deprived areas of high income countries as well where children don't have access to the the services they require for their illnesses and their cancers if they have it next month is the world cancer congress in geneva rick i understand you're coming i think you might be even a speaker which would be great what are you going to be doing when you come over to the world cancer congress I am going to be a speaker. I'm super excited to attend this conference. Uh, you know, the most important thing to me is to, is to just be in community with people that share the same passion that I have to try to help kids all around the world. And, you know, Carrie, 
collaboration is so important. So I'm anxious to go and to share the, the little bit of knowledge that I've gained during my 13 years as the CEO of, of American Lebanese Syrian Associated Charities here at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital to learn from everyone else uh, and to continue the momentum that we have to try to solve this, this, this amazing challenge that sits in front of us uh, that is pediatric or childhood cancer. Thank you very much for making your time today and for the World Cancer Congress. And I think I can say on behalf of all people that you know St. Jude's has touched in the past, all the children that have been affected by your good work. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, Kerry. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk Cancer, a podcast giving the opportunity for me to talk to incredible people around the world so we can hear what they're doing, what they think, and what we could all do to make a difference on cancer control. 